Good evening. We're continuing the Talmud series. Today it's number 29. And if you remember last week, we were speaking about a person who got married and uh, his, his uh, bride is not so pretty. And now he comes to you and says, how do you like my, la- my wife? What are you going to say to him? You're going to say the truth? Or you're going to say, oh, she's very beautiful, to make him feel good. And uh, if you remember, there's an argument between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, because the Torah says, stay away from lies. There's no permission to lie, unless it's for the sake of peace, unless it's for saving life. Here, it's peace. If you're going to start telling him bad things about his new wife, the value of the, of the girl will go down in his eyes. Because even if he himself like her, once he hears a few other people say, no, she's not good, she's not nice looking, eventually he's going to feel discouraged. So Bet Hillel say, and this is the law, this is the halacha, you have to tell him, Kala na'ava chasuda, beautiful bride, how, how lucky you are, what a great wife you got, etc., etc. Now, it's not only about wife, it's about everything. A person got a car. Horrible color, I don't know, like crazy pink, crazy green. It's already paid for it. How do you like the color? I thought it's special. Special? You know special. (laughs) Special. (laughs) Anyway, you tell him, wow, it's really amazing. You like it? I never see such a nice color. What's the problem? Why should I make him feel bad? He spent $20,000, $30,000. However, if he is a person who went and bought a suit, I don't know, $300. And you saw the same exact brand in a different department store on sale today for 150 Then it's a mitzvah to tell him, especially in America where you can still return things, you know. Tell him, oh, you know, it's a great suit, but I saw it for half a price. But if you know it's a place, you bought it from a place there's no refund, then you're not allowed to tell him anything. So the idea is very clear. You don't want a person that has no solution to his problem make, make him feel bad. So if he asks you, you have to tell him. Same thing if a person, a husband and wife, and they had, a, they had an argument, or they're not, the house is not running well, you know, there's argument, problem, problem with shlom bite, no peace in the family, and a wife came and spoke to the rabbi about her husband. My husband is this, my husband is that. And then the, the husband saw it, let's say it's in a wedding, five minutes later he comes to the rabbi, rabbi, what did my wife complain about? So he, he doesn't, first of all, he doesn't have permission to tell him anything, because that's going to make worse, the problem will become worse. But not only he doesn't, he's not allowed to tell him, he also has to tell him the opposite. He has to tell him, she said that you're a great husband, and she really appreciates you a lot. She's, she, she compares you to other husbands out there. You're much great. You're doing great. You know? Which means it's going to build good relationship between them. Because most of the people, all their arguments come from one reason, ego. Ego is the source of all problems. Once a person's ego is affected, it makes him react in a bad way. Once... He doesn't have any ego problem, which means nobody offended me, nobody said anything bad about me, what reason I have to react or, or to do something bad. Oh, oh, I'm okay, I'm good. 
Yeah, she loves me, as the day we marry, we got married, very good. Now he has more incentive to buy her a gift, to take her out, to do something, you know. It's, this is the way the people are. Same thing I always say in the traffic. Two people wants to merge into one lane. They're ready to kill each other. He's holding his gun, he's holding his baseball bat. Who's going to kill who? For what? Who's going to enter LIE five seconds faster than his friend? That's stupid arguments. He's trying. Already the mirrors are touching each other. But if you be smart, with the influence of the Torah, you tell him, go Vini, go Jose, no problem. Here you go, you're important. Right away, all the air comes out from his ego. Right away, he said, no, no, you go. Right away, he changed. A minute ago, I was ready to kill you. He went like this, no problem, go first. That's it, no more arguments. Now he's embarrassed. No, no, you go first. No, you go first. This is the way it is, you know. That's, that's nature of people. So the, the arguments, the, the, the Gemara said this was the end of last week's lecture. And uh, we also spoke about four different ways of execution in the time of Beit HaMikdash, how they used to execute the, the wicked people. And since the temple is destroyed, there's no executions for the last 2,000 years. And people who deserve to die, Hashem kills them. He doesn't need any more execution. Unfortunately, we see what's going on out there. Uh, now the Gemara speaks about orphans. Yatom ve'yatoma. A male orphan and a female orphan. A brother and a sister. That their parents passed away. They have nobody to support them financially. Who do you have to help before the other? If you have the boy and you have the girl, and now you are in charge of a charity. Let's see you, the Gabai, you're in charge of a charity. The, nine o'clock in the morning, the boy came. 9.30, the girl came. I'm hungry, I need, I need help. Who, and you have only enough money to help one of them. Who are you obligated to help first, to the boy or to the girl? I give you a hint. In Judaism, the rule ladies first doesn't apply. In some cases, it does apply, but most of the time is men first, not ladies first. Uh, it doesn't mean that a person has permission to disrespect his wife or girls in general. No, there's no discrimination. You have to buy her gift, to be a good husband, to participate, to help, to give her money, you know, and many other things, and a lot of respect and compliments. This is all uh, his obligation as a part of the marriage, but, but, the question right now is, who are we obligated to help first, him or her? The Gemara says, You support the girl first, before the boy. And if you have leftover, you give it to the boy. If not, to bed. Why? If both of them have to go and knock on doors and collect charity for food, a man, it's not such a big embarrassment. No, he knocks, help me out, you know, fine. And it's also modest, there's no problem. But it's not a proper way to let a Jewish girl walk and knock on doors. First of all, the world is dangerous. There's all kinds of people out there. And a young girl like this, is, it's not modest for her to come and knock on men's door, help me out, you know? It's not a proper thing to do. So it's more urgent to help the girl than to help the boy. Plus, a boy can find a job much faster than a girl. He goes, he can be a farmer, he can, he can do anything, physical job. Women are much more limited as how many jobs they can find. 
Today the world is different because most of the jobs are offices, technology, uh, you know, all kinds of things. But in the old days, you didn't have all these things. You had physical work. That's what really were out there. So the woman comes first in cases like this. What happened? Both of them come to get married. And they don't have money. And you have a fund that help Chatan uh, and Kala. You help them to get married. But right now you have only enough for one wedding and you have a girl came. Doesn't have to be brothers. A girl came from one family and a boy came from another family. Who are you obligated to help first? Or it doesn't matter, whichever you like. You have to help the girls to get married? What bigger mitzvah? Or to help the guy get married? The answer is, First, you marry the girl, and then you marry the boy. Why? Because the embarrassment of a girl not being married is much greater than the embarrassment of a boy that is not married. The, the, the older she gets, the more under pressure she is. Man is also under pressure, of course, but it's not as under pressure because even when he's 50 years old, he can still get married easily. If you find a girl, 35, 37, 40, 42, you can still get married. By the woman, if many years she's not married, once she reaches the 40s, her chances to give birth is much, much lower. So the years are ticking, you know, and, and she really feels the pressure. Once she gets this age, she knows if I'm not getting married now, that's it. In two, three years, I'm done. Nobody will marry me. Why? Nobody wants to a woman that never gave birth until age 40-something, and now it's very difficult for her to get married. So, unless, unless, if she's a divorced woman or already she has kids from first marriage, and even though now for a few years she wasn't active, but the chance for her to give birth is still high because her system was working in the last few years. The Gemara I saw in one place that if a woman is not giving birth for 10 years, then it's affecting her system and the fertilization of this woman is much lower than before. Up to 10 years, if she had a kid, within last 10 years, she's still able to give birth. Once she didn't, who knows? Only you need a miracle from Hashem. Today, however, this is 2,000 years ago. Today, with the help, with artificial help, such as transplant and taking and using eggs from a different woman and all kinds of things that they do today in a surgery, they're increasing the chance of giving birth by a lot than 20 years ago. 20 years ago, barren, you barren, that's it. In case you didn't know, 15% of the Jewish couples in the world are barren, having problems, having kids. That's a part of the punishment of lack of modesty. The Torah say that if we're listening to Hashem, this is in Parashat Bechukotai, I will multiply you, I will bless you, you will give a lot of birth to children. But if you don't listen to me, I will close the womb of the wife, of the mother, from giving birth. That's a part of, uh, of a punishment, as a reaction to the sins that we do. You know, so this is just to give us an idea how severe is the situation right now. Then the, the Gemara continues. The Gemara says, if an orphan come to get married, if you're able to help him, first thing you do, you rent him a place. Sochrim lo bait. First thing. First, he need, why not? You don't want him, he got married tonight and he's becoming a homeless already, living in a park. First thing, a house. Then a bed. 
Okay? A bed. Then all the utensils that he need. In the old days, he didn't need dishwasher, this, oven. Everything was easy. Oven, you make a hole, you put some cement on the side, you put some pieces of tree, and you have an oven. That's, that's how it was. You know, uh, once it's ready, then you actually make the wedding. You don't make them the wedding when they don't have a place to sleep. If the parents open their house for them, fine. They can live in a, somewhere by the parents. Sheneemar, dei machsoro asher yechsar lo. Dei machsoro, every... The things that he's missing. What is he missing? First thing, the bite. A bed and a table, a place to eat. This is the secret. You know, once I explain, many times I explain, that you cannot understand the written Torah unless if you check what the oral Torah has to teach about every verse in a Torah. Sometimes what you think literally, that's what it means, comes the oral Torah and tell you exactly the opposite. For instance, without the oral Torah that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu in Mount Sinai, who would ever imagine that this is the translation of this Pasuk? What is it? Dei machsoro asher yachsarlo. Give him what he's missing. What's the connection now? House, bed, table, and a wife. Four things in the right order. From this Pasuk, they learn it. This is amazing. So this is just to show you how clever is the combination between the written and the oral Torah. I give you an example. The Torah says three times, Don't cook. How do you say gdi? Not a goat. Goat is as. Gdi, a young uh, sheep. Very young sheep. Older than one year old. What do you call it in English? Gdi. Oh, well, if you don't know, I feel good. <laughs> You, the American professor, don't know, what should I say? Anyway, don't cook, let's say the goat, just for the, for the idea, in the milk of his mother. What's the connection? Do not eat dairy and milk together. I mean, milk and, and meat mixed. But it appears three times in the Torah. Comes the oral Torah and say one time to teach you, you're not allowed to eat it. Whether you cooked it, somebody else cooked it in a restaurant, you're not allowed to eat it. Second time it appears to teach you that not only you're not allowed to eat it, even to cook it for somebody, like a goy, or someone who is allowed to eat it, a Jew is not permitted. So a Jew cannot have a business that makes cheeseburger, for instance. Why? Even a goy eats it. It's in Harlem. It's all black people there. They eat cheeseburger, but a Jew cannot prepare it for him. That's the second time why it appears in the Torah. And the third time, if a Jew by mistake mixes meat and cheese, by mistake, now he thinks, okay, it's, it's 50 bucks. I made spaghetti with cheese and, uh, and, uh, and meat. I'm going to throw the whole thing to the garbage? Let me go to Ahmed and sell it to him. Ahmed, here, give me 30 bucks, it's all yours. I'm not allowed to eat it. The answer is you're not allowed. Why are you not allowed? Because once you cooked it, you cannot have any pleasure from it. Getting money for it, it's pleasure. Giving it as a gift to someone, one day he will return you a favor, it's a pleasure. You don't, you're not allowed. You have, even to give it to your dog to eat, you're not allowed. Which means you made a mistake, you have to destroy it. That's why it appears three times in the Torah. 
Now, without the oral Torah, we would never be able to even imagine that that's why it appears in the Torah three times. You understand? So this is just to give us an idea. Then the Gemara continue. We are in still in Masechet Ketubot. Ata metzuveh alav lefarneso, ve'e ata metzuveh alav le'ashro. You are obligated to help him for what he's missing, which means food, bed, that's fine. But you don't have any obligation to make him rich. Even if he was a rich person, and by giving him a piece of bread to eat, you're not doing him such a big favor, because this is a person who used to eat steaks and delicious fish. Now he lost all his money overnight in a stock market. He doesn't have money for, for Shabbat. If you can afford to give him the same lifestyle he had until now, that's a very big mitzvah. But you don't have an obligation to make him rich as he used to be. If you can, fine. If not, no. Asher yachsarlo, even a horse to ride, which means in our day a car. In the old days he was a horse. Even a servant. If he had a servant, if you can afford, give him a servant. It's not luxury. For you it is maybe, because you're a humble person. But for him... It's a way of life. He grew up like this. Mentally, he's broke now. Not, fi- not only financially. Mentally, he's finished. The mitzvah is to revive him. Because this is a person who lost the, the, the taste of his life. All his life, everyone was doing everything for him. All of a sudden, he lost everything. Amru alav al-Hilel Zaken. Hilel Zaken was the president of the Sanhedrin. Shelakach le'ani echad sus l'irkav alav. And he did it. He saw a poor person, he got him a horse and a servant to walk the horse around. And he made him sit, and there was like doing tzedakah. To do tzedakah, 100% as it should be. One time he couldn't find a servant to run in front of him. So he himself, the chief rabbi, was, was walking the horse around, taking the horse to places, serving that poor person. Then he came, uh, this uh, came in front of Rava, one of the important Rabbanim. Amar lebemata soed, what are you eating normally? He told him, I'm eating a fat chicken, stuffed fat chicken, and old red wine. Like a king, this poor person. He told him, you're not embarrassed? You come to the public to feed you from tzedakah, from charity, and you're asking for for a chicken and a, and a bottle of wine? Ask for a piece of bread with margarine. What is this? What's the idea? You have, you have the nerve. It's, imagine somebody come to you. Yeah, I'm hungry. Okay, stay here. I'll bring you something to eat. Hey, make sure you bring me that chicken over there. You see over there on the table? That chicken and that red wine. What do you do to a poor person like this? <laughs> Tell him, wait one minute, you send your son, say, go close the door, send him away. He wants the chicken and the bottle of wine. This guy has the nerve. But this is it now. This is what happened here. That reminds me, one time a, a person came to me in Mansi, they knock on doors, and he said, I'm collecting money for my daughter's wedding. So, you know, I brought him in, I gave him orange juice, some fruit. We talk. I gave him $20, you know. When you go from one place to the other, you collect it in a week. And I'm sure people gave him much more. But he was very happy the 10, 15 minutes he was sitting with me in my kitchen, and I gave him so much attention, and I cheered him up. You know, I told him, don't worry, everything will work out. 
So when, he, when I was about to leave, he said, you see, you didn't give me the biggest donation. But by you, I felt the greatest. I mean, I was already broken and depressed. You brought me energy back. So I said, oh, I'm glad, Baruch Hashem. Then he said one more thing. He said, you look at me. All I need to raise is $5,000. I'm making my daughter the worst wedding you can imagine. There's nothing on the table, nothing. Just the bread, $5,000. The lousiest wedding ever. And I cannot collect $5,000. I'm already walking from one place to the other. And you see, he said to me, see, look at me. I was a real millionaire in Israel. I had an office in this fancy building in Tel Aviv, secretaries. Everything I touched was gold. One time, a rabbi came to me to collect in my office. It was, it was every week people come. I had a very important business day that day, meeting, conference. He came. I was talking to my partner and some investors. And then the secretary said that rabbi came to collect for his yeshiva. So I, say, I saw him through the door. I told her, tell him to come back in an hour. We're now in a, in, a, in a... What did this rabbi do? He went downstairs, waited in the street for an hour, and exactly by the minute, he came up. Exactly, because he didn't have where to go now. I'm going to go and come back with the bus. So he waited downstairs an hour. He came back up, and I was still in a meeting, he said to me. I was still in a... I didn't, you know, I'm still under pressure. But at least now, we're already signing the paper. The investor agreed to the deal. So as soon as I saw him, I got very angry. That, uh, you know, what? I say an hour. I didn't mean exactly an hour. That's not what I meant. Come exactly an hour. What a pest. So I came out. I said, Rabbi, you cannot put, put me under pressure here. Come back another few hours. Come back tomorrow. I don't know. Come back in another time. He got insulted and he left. I went back into the room. This is what he tells me, this guy. The investor, something happened. They got a call. Somebody from overseas. The deal is off. Right away, I lost fortune. The deal went down. From that moment on, in a few years, every deal I made, I lost all the money. Until it got to a point I went bankrupt. They took away my business, took away my home. And now I have to marry my first daughter, and I cannot get $5,000. For one time, I insulted the person who came for tzedakah. That's why I appreciate you. Not the money, the $20 is not a lot of money. The attention you gave me. Now I understand what I did to that man. You understand what, how a, a life of a person can turn around by insulting a poor person? And, and from all the people who ever knocked on my door, the image of that person went very, very, engraved very deep in my brain. Because he was talking for such pain. I wish I can turn the, the wheel back for that day. I'll give him who knows how much. Just that I, 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 you know, and that's it. He doesn't even know where this rabbi is. To go, to apologize, it's history already. Then the Gemara continues. The Gemara says, so the poor person come to him, to rabbi, and say, give me a stuffed chicken, turkey, an old red wine. He told him, you're not embarrassed to take advantage on the public? All they have to do is to feed you, not to give you delicious food. He said to the rabbi, tell me, I'm eating from you? 
<laughs> so from who? If you don't eat from us. We give you the food. So the poor person say to him, what are you getting upset? You give me anything? It's all from Hashem. That reminds me about this good joke. A guy wants to marry a girl. He's in yeshiva all day. So he comes to meet her father. Once it became serious, they come to the father. The father prepare a few bottles of vodka. And again, and again, the guy is already seeing stars. You don't deserve to be my son-in-law. You only finish one bottle of vodka. Drink another one, then you have her. Anyway, so the guy, the, he asked him, the father asked him, tell me, you have a house? He said, no. So where are you going to move after the wedding? Hashem Yazor, Hashem will help. You have a car? No. So how are you going to drive around? Hashem will help. You have money for wedding ring? You bought her a wedding ring, something? He said, no. You have the money? No. What are you going to do? The wedding is in a few weeks supposed to be, no? He said, Hashem will help. He said, what about suit for the wedding? Suit, hat, something you have for the wedding? He said, no. What happened? Hashem Yazor. He turns around, he screams to his wife, Miriam! I didn't know my name is Hashem. Hashem <laughs> Yazor. You come to me, Hashem Yazor. This is what's happened today. So the, the poor guy says to him, what, you're doing me a favor? I'm eating from your pocket. It's all from Hashem. Shenemar, what we say every day in, in, the, in a prayer. Ene kol elecha yesaberu, Everyone is looking up to you, and you feed each one in the right time. It didn't say in their time. It says in his time. Because every individual deserves the money in a different time. One person needs the money now, and another one needs it in two months from now. The timing of the money is just important as the amount. Why? Sometimes you can get a big amount, but not in the right time. Because you put it in the market and it's crashed, like today and yesterday. Somebody gave you now money to invest. The last two days, you lost all of it. But if it was in the last three months, very good. It was keep going up artificially. They're popping the market. So it's, timing is the last. Same thing the rain. The Gemara said there's Yoreu Malkosh. Yoreu is the first rain. Malkosh is the last rain of the season. Now Israel, it's not New York. Every few days you have rain. You have summer, you have winter. In the winter you have a little rain. That's it. And it's critical. The first rain usually falls around Sukkot. I remember as a kid, Sukkot, it begins to drip on the Sukkah. What happens if it doesn't come? If it comes ten times more rain, but a month later... Too late for the farmers. All the, 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 the tomatoes, the cucumbers, the, everything is going to the garbage. Oh, it's going to come small, sour, not good. If it comes too early, it's also ruin all the seeds. Flooding the, the place, millions of dollars damage. So the timing is critical. This is what we say, Vatan Kana as he's talking to that poor man, guess who walked in? The sister of Rabbi, the rabbi, walked in. He did not see her for 13 years. 
30 years. And she walked in the house with a stuffed turkey and an old red wine as they're arguing. And he got a sign from Shamaim. He said, wow, look at this poor man. He comes in my face. He tells me, what are you complaining? I'm asking for stuffed chicken and a red wine. As they're arguing, the sister walks in and he said to him, okay, I got, my po I got your point here. It's for you, from Shamayim. Have the turkey, have the red wine, and that was the end of it. Maruk Marukba was one important holy rav, and there were poor people in his neighborhood. That every day, he used to throw him four coins in the pipe. There's a special pipe of the door. They throw it inside, you know. And the poor man hears money falls on the floor. He comes to get it, but then he's running away because he doesn't want him to know. One time the poor man say, I got to catch the guy who gives me all this money every day. He threw it in my door. One time he was waiting by the door all day. As soon as he hears her hand is going into that hole, right away he's going to run after him. When he saw that, he started to run Marukba and he followed him. He runs, he runs after him. On the way, the wife of the rabbi saw him running. She, she see a man runs after him. She thought maybe somebody wants to beat him up or something. So she started to run with him. So they run, they make a right, make a left in the market, you know, and the poor man runs, he wants to know who gives me this money. So they, they made a turn into a room that was an oven. You know, an oven, how you bake bread, challah, a professional bakery. So they're standing over there, and he sees the wife is standing on a fire, and his, his legs are burning. He jumped like this. So his wife told him, put your legs on mine. So he was putting his legs on his wife's legs, and she was holding him. So... Later, when, they, when the poor man lost them, they came out of the oven, and he was thinking to himself, I don't understand. All my life I learned Torah. My wife is at home, and Hashem helped her more than me. My legs were burning, and she, she wasn't burning. What's, all day was thinking, what mitzvah she does better than me that I had to put my legs on her? She says... The difference between me and you is when you give the poor people money, they have to bother. They have to go buy things, cut it, cook it, eat it. It's a whole process. When I give the poor something, I bring it to them ready. Here, rice, chicken, eat. He eats, he sits, eat. That's the difference. So even when you give, we both spend maybe the same amount. You spend four and I spend four. But I bring it to him right to his mouth. Save him the headache of going, shopping, this. From here we learn that when you do a mitzvah, there's always try to aim to the highest level. Then, Marukva, the same Marukva, was a, he had a poor person, he used to send him Arba Meot Zuzi every Yom Kippur, before Yom Kippur started. He used to send him 400 coins of gold, like let's say $400 today. He has a list of poor people. He used to go and put money by him. 
Now he was busy, he sent his son. He sent his son. His son comes, his son looks from the window. He sees that the poor person sitting in his house, eating, drinking grape wine, old wine, eating good and having beautiful plates. So he ran back to his father. He said to his father, why are you giving money to this guy? He lives better than us. So he said, oh, now in that case, I have to give him double. So he gave him 800. He said, go, go quickly, give him double. So he said, why, why, why should I give him double? He said, because we have to give him according to his level. Somebody, I guess he was rich, he's got used to it in this way. So we see, we see from here the, the importance of mitzvah. Most people that give away something, they think, what a great guy I am. I'm helping the poor, I'm donating, I'm helping the yeshiva. But the truth is, the truth of the Torah, it's, it's about time that people will understand. You're not doing anyone a favor but yourself. You don't need. Hashem would feed these people with or without you. You just had the opportunity to buy this stock for free. That's it. You don't want it, somebody else would buy it. It's about time people would realize, I'm not doing anyone a favor. Only to me and my children. Same thing Mordechai in a, in a Megillah. When they read the Megillah Saturday night, remember this. Mordechai comes to Esther, he says to her, now it's your time. You have to go to the king of Hashverosh, and say, this is an opportunity to save the whole Jewish nation. So if you're not going to do it, Rebach v'atzala yeh la'yehudim mimakom acher, ve'ad ve'bet avich tovedu. Hashem will save the Jews from a different source, not from you. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who's her father? Shaul HaMelech. She comes, Esther and Mordechai come from King Saul. Why now the whole problem with Haman? Haman is the reincarnation of Agag, the king of Amalek. Shaul didn't kill him. Now his grand-grandchildren is about to do the job. So he says to Esther, you're not going to do it. No problem. Hashem will kill him anyway. He will save the Jews. But this was an opportunity to correct you and your father, your grandfather. You're not going to do it. Somebody else will do the job, and you will pay the price. This is what's going on here. There was Rabbi Hanina. There was a poor person who used to send him money every Friday for Shabbat. One time he sent it with his wife. She went and she saw that he's eating in silver and gold plates. She comes back to him and says to him, I don't understand. We're helping them and they live better than us? So he told her, let's appreciate it that we have crooks like them. Thanks to them we are alive. If we didn't have crooks, we will be dead a long time ago. What's the connection? Why? Because every time a person, a poor person comes to a Jew and asks him to feed him, and he sends him empty-handed, that moment he was supposed to fall and die. That's what he really deserved. You don't want another Jew to live, 
you don't deserve to live. So why we don't die? Because we always have an excuse. Hashem, I don't know who he is, maybe he's a crook. Just because he come with clothes like this and tell me, help me, help me out. There's a lot of crooks out there, especially today. Because we have that answer to answer, our life gets saved. So he said to his wife, okay, you caught them that they are crooks. They eat in gold and silver, so they, they live good. They're not poor. But what happened if we wouldn't have any crooks? One time we wouldn't give. It would be such a punishment to get. At least now we get saved. Our life is getting saved here. Someone who, when he comes to collect tzedakah, he claims that he's blind. A crook. Hello, tzedakah, help me please. Why? People will give a lot more. Huh? If, a person, if a normal person come, let's say you give him $10. If a poor person with a stick come, puts glasses like today, the black glasses, help me, help me out, and he goes like this, right away, give him double. Why? You feel bad for him. So, wow, imagine if I would be like this guy, cannot see anything. <laughs> it reminds me of a great thing. 750 years ago, there used to be a huge, huge, holy rabbi, his name Ibn Ezra. Rabbi Abraham Ibn Ezra. He's in every Chumash. Rashi, Ramban, Ramban. Ibn Ezra is almost in every Chumash. He was such an amazing Chacham. And at the same time, a complete poor person. Complete. One time a student decided to give him money. They know he refused to accept tzedakah. I don't take anything from anyone. Don't want gifts. So how are we going to give him the money? So they decided that they'll put a wallet full of money in the middle of the road while he's coming on the way to yeshiva. One guy will, will wait until he comes. He will signal to them, they throw the money on the floor, and they all run to hide. So they did it, so the rabbi comes, all of a sudden they see he walks with his eyes closed. And he walked over the wallet, and they didn't see it. So they picked up the money, they go back to the yeshiva. So one of them say, Rabbi, can we ask you a question? Yeah, say, we want to know why. We saw you yesterday walking on the street with your eyes closed. Can you teach us what's the secret? What is it? You saw the devil maybe, you don't want to look at him. Maybe they were not modest women on the street. Tell us, we want to learn, Torah, no? So he said, no, no. For three days I didn't eat. So hungry, I felt my stomach is shrinking. And then I started to complain to myself. Why do I deserve such life? Maybe it's better I die every day. I'm hungry, hungry like this. Then I started to think to myself, what a nerve I have to complain about something that Hashem is doing. Imagine if I would be a poor person. One time I saw a poor person, what a miserable guy, cannot see anything. It's better to be like me than to be like him. So I decided to punish myself and all day to be one day blind. I decided that today I have to be blind to feel how bad it could really be. So they told him, Rabbi, please change your profession. Go work in the cemetery. Get a job in the cemetery. Nobody will die. 
You don't have to make money. Hashem doesn't want you to make money. Here we, made, we put money on the floor. We wanted you to find it. Just today you decided to be blind. Just today. I remember one time I went three cars to the safari. Six flags. Hola Moed. We take the kids. Once a year we take them somewhere. When? Hola Moed. All the religious people from Brooklyn, from Monsi, meet in the safari on Hola Moed of Sukkot, Hola Moed of Pesach. Hundreds of cars. You feel like an home there for one day with our cousins there. So... My friend, I have a friend, everything he touched become mud. You put gold in his hand, you come tomorrow, it became silver. You put silver, it became bronze. You put bronze, it became sand. Whatever he touched in business, you know, you gave him money, the money is gone. He's an honest person. He's a wonderful human being. But Parnassah, Hashem doesn't want him to have apparently. Hopefully now it's changing. So I tell my wife, we're driving now. We were supposed to be there according to our plan about 3.15. They close at 4. No more cars coming in. Now, from Monsi to there, it's almost three hours ride. It's Philadelphia over there. All of a sudden, we got about nine miles before the place, accident. The highway is packed, cars, bumper to bumper. Somehow, five to four, we made it to the line. It looks like a toll booth. You know, cars coming, pay, and go in. My friend is the first one. I am the second and another friend behind me. Three full cars with kids. The kids waiting all here for it. I say to my wife, knowing my friend, this guy Shimon, just wait and see. When he's going to come to the payment booth, they'll close the place. <laughs> we have about 50 cars in front of us. You know, it's a huge line. Coming closer, closer, closer. I said, wow, two minutes to four. One minute to four. Four, zero, zero. The guy came with a truck, a pickup truck. He said to my friend like this, stop. He got with his car and closed the road. So there are maybe 20 more cars. They already made it. But all the cars from there on have to make a U-turn and go back three hours home and the kids are crying. I said, I said to her, why did I tell you? This is the Ebenezer of this generation. <laughs> I said to him, I said, what are we going to do? Let's talk to the guy. We come out. Say, hey, no, we came from far, this. Like he cares. Every day he does the same thing. He put the car and leave. We were so desperate, we were ready to give him money already for one minute to let us in. But he doesn't care. I said to my friend, if you bury bodies, nobody in the world will die. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy was so red. I said, don't worry, follow me. <laughs> we went through the trees. There's trees on the side. Through the trees, somehow, we went all around, and we made it to the line. We paid, and we went in. Imagine all the way, the kids waiting months. Such a distraction. But I say to you, when a person doesn't have mazal, nothing, that's it. If you take him as your partner, it's finished. One time, I had two friends. One is doing very well in the stock market. And one, everything he touch, he lose. The one who lose is clever. He comes to the one who makes, and he says, I want to give you $15,000. Play for me. I say to the guy, I want to tell you, the minute that you're going to put his money in your account, 
I'm preparing you. Everything will be one big loss. So he says to me, why? Three months, I didn't lose one day. It's like I, have, I went to a course, I learned the trick. I may, it's guaranteed. I may, there's not even 1% chance to lose. Look, me, my wife, the more hours we save, the more money we make. I say, too good to be true. I'm telling you, the money from this guy goes into your account. Come this and destroy this. The, the words of the Gemara. One week after, <laughs> he put the same amount of money from him and the other one from him, and they made a partnership account. He said, how did you know? $1,600 left <laughs> in one week. It's all wiped out. Why is it? The mazal of this partner ruined the mazal of that partner. This is it. So it says here, it says like this. Someone who pretends is blind. Someone who pretends that he didn't eat, he's starving, but he's really full. Someone who pretends he's handicapped, like, you know, crippled or anything like this. And someone who is really not poor, he pretends that he's poor and he comes to collect tzedakah, will not die before the, the, the lie that he made will become reality. I repeat, if a person is, he has enough and he comes to collect, like they do in the Western world and in public places, they make thousands of shekel a day. The people who stand by the Western Wall, all these people who look like beggars, like bums, they make more money than the Prime Minister of Israel every day. Guarantee. Every one of them. Every tourist or person who comes, 10,000 people minimum in a day, and sometimes 30, give him shekel, two shekel, five shekel, sometimes euros, dollars, it adds up to fortune. Fortune! You look, you give him $2, $5, but he gets thousands of people a day, and a third of them give him something, and to everyone, and people come to that place to give tzedakah. So they're already wealthy, but they don't stop to collect. Somebody like this, one day, would lose everything he took, and will really need tzedakah before he dies from this world. Same thing if he pretends he's blind, he will become blind. Three weeks ago, I went to pray in Chaim Englewood, New Jersey. I had errands there. And after the meeting, I saw that I won't make it to Queens on time. I said, let me go. There's a shul here. I know there's a, there's a shul there. Let me go. I go to the shul, and I meet a friend of mine there in a mincha. He comes out, and he tells me an amazing story. It was fresh that day. He told me, you're not going to believe what just happened. I said, what? He said, there are two people who collect tzedakah together. But before they started to collect tzedakah, they were drivers. The rabbis come from Israel. They know all the addresses of all the, people, the rich people who gives, who doesn't give. They have a list. So they tell the rabbi, 50-50. You collect, I'll take it to all the people, 50% you give me. In the beginning, it used to be 30. The driver takes 30. And the rabbi used to take 70. Now, the greed, we all know what greed can do. Now they want 50. Then they say to the rabbi, 70, 30. We take 70%, you take 30%. Take it or leave it. They know they cannot find anything. Thank you. 
They, they, these rabbis don't drive, they don't speak English, most of them. They don't know where to go. So whatever I give him, I'm doing him a favor. But the one thing they forgot, that the people who give them the money are not interested to give them the money. They want to give it to the yeshiva. But they steal 70% of it. That's why I always tell people, when people come to you to collect, check first thing outside. And now they're very clever. They park the car far because they know the people already know. If people come with a driver, if you live in a quiet neighborhood, and you see that this guy came to you, that means he has a driver. Don't give them a penny. Tell him, give me your envelope. I'll send you tomorrow a check. Why? The check, they keep it 100%. You understand? And if you don't know who they are, don't give them at all. Just give them a dollar or two and say goodbye. I don't know you. I'm sorry. I have people I trust. That's where I give my tzedakah. Why should I go for the maybe if I have a certain cause? If I have, if I have a cousin that learns Torah all day and is very poor, and I give him the money in his hand, then I know 100% of my money went to a person that sits learn Torah. If I give to someone who knocked on my door, maybe he went, maybe he didn't. Maybe he went to the casino. How do I know who he is? The custom everyone can put. That's an advice from me to you. But anyway, now my friend is telling me the story that after they took 70%, the greed did not stop. They started to tell themselves, why do we need this headache driving these rabbis around? We all have all the addresses. We will collect. We'll make a cause. We'll say something, and we'll collect. Well, the, the, the rich people already know us. We come all the time there, every day. So one of them is a single guy. He said, OK, I'm going to say that I have a blind daughter, and I have to collect for her surgery, and I need $100,000 for the surgery. So they made an excuse. Now they come, and he begins to collect. Collect, collect. What are you collecting for? No alechem, I have a blind daughter, ta, 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 collect, and people give him. Two, three years went by, he gets married. The day I went to pray Mincha, that week, my friend told me, guess what happened? First kid he had, a daughter born blind. Like the way this Gemara came to me, like a flashback. Gemara in Ketubot. All these lies that you make to collect will turn into reality, if not to you, to your children. You're not fooling anyone but yourself. You're not helping anyone but yourself. Whatever you do to others, remember, it's all for you, 100%. Then, One person is about to die. Before he died, he made a will. All my money goes to Tuvia. Shachiv died. Now there's two people who call Tuvia. They both come. Hello, hi. He said that all his money comes to me. That reminds me, in Tenafly, next to Englewood, there's a beautiful Chabad shul. At least $20 million the building costs, without any doubt. I spoke there a few times. And how they got the money, very interesting story. There was one Jew, has no kids, is a reform Jew. Reform, not even an active reform. Maybe once in a blue moon he, he went to the hospital. I mean, to the synagogue. So he's dying. There are different versions how much money he had. 40 million, 400 million, 100 million, a big amount of money. 
He called up one rabbi, the reform rabbi, that's the only rabbi he knew of, for the synagogue that he went there a few times in his life. He called up that rabbi and said, Rabbi, I'm in a hospital. Maybe you come visit me one of these days. The rabbi said, ah, what do I know him? I see him once every few years. That reform rabbi never went. Just when he was really dying, he had maybe two, three days to left. So he wanted to speak to a rabbi. Maybe he can tell him something before he die. You know, when people dying, they become a little religious. So who did they find? This rabbi from Tenefly, young rabbi. He went there, he sat with him for a day or two before he died, and he wrote all his money to him. All the money went to him. And with that money, they built that beautiful, huge, nice, fancy building with many rooms. And I'm thinking to myself, what's the first thing came to your mind now when I told you that story? Let's see if we think the same way. When you heard that story, what? You must have been a bad man. Huh? You must have been a bad man. Ah. Well, he, he just did a big mitzvah that may save him from a lot of punishments up there. Before he died, he gave his money. At least he did the right thing before he died. Moral of the story is extend yourself anytime you can. Yeah, but that's the fir first thing I thought is, how, if this reform rabbi is still alive or he already got a heart attack? <laughs> when he heard that that person was about to give him 200, 300, 400 million, whatever it was, doesn't matter. There's different versions to the story. I heard it from three different people. One say 45 million, one say 100, one say 400 million, whatever. Minimum 45 million. It's a lot of money for two hours visit, no? <laughs> so that reform rabbi is probably banging his head until now to the wall 400 million times. Maybe. You know. One reform, uh, reform went to his reform rabbi. He said, Rabbi, don't ask. I sent my kid on a trip to Israel. He came back with a tzitzit. He said that they told him every second is a mitzvah. He's 16 years old. God forbid, now he's walking with his tzitzit. So the reform rabbi said, don't worry. He's a kid. He's excited now. Soon the influence of the trip will wear out. And he's going to get rid of the tzitzit. Don't worry. There's no reason to panic. So the next year, his other son went on a trip. This son came with a tzitzit and a kippah. Wow, the father runs to the rabbi. Rabbi, give me a bracha. What? My son has a tzitzit and a kippah. Wow, I'm dying. Help me out. Say, okay, no worry. Don't worry. The same thing I told you last year, you see it's going to happen. The next year, he sent his third son. He came with a tzitzit. And he said, Father, I want money. I'm going back to Yeshiva. I'm going to Yeshiva for a year. He runs to the rabbi. He said, Rabbi, forget about it. The problems we had in the last two years is nothing compared to this. You ready? He wants to go to Yeshiva. So the rabbi said, wow, that's a real problem. You hurry up. Bring your mezuzot. We have to check them. <laughs> <laughs> We laugh at this, but this story is so true about them. That's how they are. That's how they are. You tell him not to marry the Goya, you know how angry he's going to get? Tell him not to eat pork, he gets angry. You're, in, you're invading my privacy. 
you're telling me not to play the piano on Yom Kippur with my wife Christine and the, and the, and the hallelujah that we sing on Yom Kippur with the piano and the father, the priest come together to join the band. You know, that's what's going on out there. Anyway, now the two Tuvia came. And one Talmid Chacham came. Three people came. Now, one, no, one of them is, a, this two Tuvia came. We don't know who, which one of them he meant. But one of them is a Talmid Chacham, learns Torah. And the other one is a shoemaker, doesn't learn Torah all month. Who do they have to give the money to? Huh? One of them was a neighbor, Shachen, and one of them is a Talmud Chacham from the yeshiva. Who, the, who did he mean? Tuvia the neighbor or Tuvia the rabbi? The rabbi. Why? If he's normal, he meant to the rabbi. The shoemaker, what mitzvah is going to bring him? Making more shoes? The taxi driver that drives. You give him tzedakah. What mitzvah is going to create for you? Nothing. The person who learns Torah, you become his partner to his Torah. You go to next world, you need help now. Who's going to help you? The money you gave this rabbi. He's doing mitzvot with that. The mitzvot he does with your money, it counts. You did it. So for sure that's what he wants. It's like asking, my father said to invest his stocks in this company. Now there are two companies. One who loses 1,000% every year. And one who makes a thousand percent every year. And they sound almost the same. Different, diff, one little difference in the spelling. And now they're asking, who did the father wanted the stocks, the money to be invested? Here or here? Of course here. What, he's a fool? He wants to lose his money? So the neighbor, with all due respect, is Talmid Chacham Kodem. A relative and a Talmid Chacham. Two Tuvia. One, let's say, is cousin, and the other one is a rabbi from the shul. Who's coming first? What do you say? Talmid Chacham come first. Halacha, this is Gemara in Masechet Ketubot. It's not no matter who's coming first. You have to figure out his intent. That's what we are doing here. We're trying to analyze what the deceased person meant. My money is to Tuvia. Is it possible he wanted to give it to Tuvia, his cousin that doesn't learn one minute Torah a day? Or he meant Tuvia, the rabbi who learns Torah all day? For sure he meant the rabbi. Why? We are, we are trying to help the deceased person now. Remember, he needs a lot of help out there. What's all this? Yorzeit, Kaddish... All the things that these kids do, or, or the community does for him. We try to save his soul. By giving it to the cousin to go smoke cigarette on Shabbat in a casino, it's not going to do any good for him. It's going to get more punishments for being a fool, giving his money to a wicked person. But if he gave it to a holy person who sits and learns Torah and do mitzvot, at least something good comes out of it. So what's the dilemma here? There's no dilemma. Shachen vekarov. Okay, put the Talmud Chacham away now. A neighbor, Tuvia, or a relative, Tuvia? Tashma, there's a verse in the book of Mishlei, King Solomon, Mishlei Chafzain. What is it? Tov Shachen Karov Me'ach Rachok. 
Better a good neighbor than a brother who lives across the, I mean, uh, the ocean, overseas. Why? Well, today it's not so true anymore. With the Facebook, with the Internet, the whole world became like a four by four. The world is very small, but remember, this, we are talking now 2,000 years ago. If you have a brother in Africa, when is the next time you're going to see him? When you're going to have 10 kids already. When? There's no telephone, you know, he's going to come in a boat four months on the ocean to see you. No train, no planes, no nothing. That's how it was. So, the Gaon Mivilna, 50 years, did not see his sister. 50 years. After 50 years, she showed up. That's one of the famous stories about him. That he didn't stop learning for a minute. So he got up, he said, sister, I'm so happy you're alive. I hope you had good life. We met. I'm, I'm okay, you okay. I have a lot of things to, to do in this life, and time is running out. We'll meet again in the next life. Well, went back into his room, finished, after 50 years. Imagine two Bukharians meet after 50 years, brother and sister. Three months, parties, like a Hashverosh, 180 days. Goat, slaughtering goat, lamb, band, orchestra. They bring that Russian guy with the mustache. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, the brother and sister. Six-month parties. Why? Feelings. My sister, I love her. Family, Rabbi, family. How can I go far away? I have to be next to my parents. But the Chachamim, the people who are connected to the Torah, they know this is all atzata yetzerara. The Satan is a genius. He makes you attached to your relatives, that they'll keep you busy nonsense, nonsense all your life, that when you die, you have no Torah, no mitzvot, no nothing. Why you don't come to the yeshiva? My parents are alone, Rabbi. No, it's better for them. You learn Torah. What's better? You sit and watch television with them every night. What's better? What's the point? The po That's why I say one kid, his father, Noah Lenu, has cancer. Found out he has cancer. In his 50s, his father. So I told him, come to the yeshiva now until we see what's going to happen to him. You give notes to everyone that learns Torah, and they all pray and learn for, your, for the health of your father. He say, yeah, but you know, maybe they're alone, they need my help. So I say to him, what are you? Are you a doctor? Are you a surgeon? Are you Eliyahu Navi? Who are you? What, what benefits your father have by you sitting in the house and looking at him and feel bad for him how he's dying, God forbid? If anything can save him, is right now the power of the Torah. Remember what I told you about that boy. Every day I find out more and more about the miracles that we had. Not even two weeks ago. Remember I told you that boy Zohar is 19 years old, soldier from Israel, 19 years old. The doctors, all the doctors in Israel said to the army, don't pay for his surgery, $500,000. Don't pay, it's a waste of money. He doesn't even have 1% chance to live. What? People started to fast, reading Tehillim, learning Torah for him, calling Chachamim, so much. Then they, then they agree to pay for the surgery, which was already a big miracle that they agree with less than 1% chance. And then from the time they agreed to pay for the surgery until they got tickets, 
and every day is going and getting a new check because the kind of cancer that he has is the most critical and the fastest growing cancer in, out of all kinds of cancer. Just today I found out that the day of the flight, they sent another CD of the, of the, of the MRI. And the, the, the cancer grows so much that when the doctor saw it, he told them, tell them not to come. The day they had the flight, the doctor yelled at my friend, why didn't I get an updated CD? Based on the two I, I saw, I told you I can save his life, but his hand will be paralyzed. Now, there's no chance I can save his life. Tell him not to waste his time. This was the situation the day of the flight. I didn't know that. Today I found out. That's a punishment for you. Instead of listening to Torah, you're dealing with nonsense. That's why it happened. But that's okay. We all learn. Anyway, so what, what's going on here? So my friend started, again, phone calls to yeshivot. Everybody started to pray, say, come. Even if the doctor say he won't do the operation, when he comes here to Baltimore, he will see him, he will do the operation. <laughs> it's like, like in the market. Give it to me for $2, $3. No, I don't want. I'm coming. I'm buying it. I don't care. He showed up here, two full day surgery from morning to night. And he cleaned everything from the spine. Forget it. Well, the doctor told my friend, it's the most successful surgery I had in my whole career. And I don't even know how I did it. I opened him up from the mouth. They opened up the whole mouth. They removed the pipes. Forget it. How they going to, if you know how, my friend said when the doctor was telling me how he's going to do the operation, I felt that any second I'll vomit. I felt I'm fainting, just from the way he described it. And in the end, what happened? The power of the Torah, the power of the Torah, there's no other way. No way in history this kid was able to be, to be successful in his... It was a, a dead case. He swore that he's going to keep Shabbat and put filin for the rest of his life. Even the hand is not paralyzed. Before he saw the last CD... He said, oh, I'm going to be able to save his life, hopefully, but his left arm will not work. He's going to be paralyzed. That's all his life is like this. Not only after that, he said, no, forget it. I cannot save his life. Not only he saved his life with Hashem's, obviously, it's all Hashem. The hands are working. Put feeling. We're going to make Bezrat Hashem a big event when he comes back out of the hospital, because he's still there. For the whole world to see, when the doctors tell you you're dead, don't give up. They don't know what they're talking about. By them, it's all statistic. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu can take the Jew out of the statistic. Remember, we are above the mazal, the Jews. And the power of the Torah, here we just saw, and, and that's not the first time I've seen miracle. The power of the Torah, I told you the story about the Goy, no? The nine years old boy. I have a guy that runs my website, all volunteering, Tzadik Goy. He keeps the seven law of Noah. And then he does everything for free. Everything. I send him an email. Oh, he puts the lectures on. He takes care of everything, every technical problem. Everything volunteering. One time he calls me up. He says, my, my wife's nephew, nine years old, Goy. They found cancer in his brain, brain tumor. Brain tumor, how many people get saved from this? 
critical situation, surgery scheduled for tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning there's one last exam, and they begin to operate. So he said to me, you know, I know, you know you're making people religious. Maybe your prayer will help. Will help. I feel bad seeing my wife, you know, it's, it's her sister's son. I want, uh, you know, if you can dedicate your lecture tonight for this boy. I got the name of the boy. We made a special prayer for him, and we did a lecture for the boy. The next day, and I asked permission from this guy to say it in my lecture in his name. Because, you know, otherwise people would never believe such miracle. A tumor in a brain tonight, here, right now. That's, we had the lecture, and tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock the surgery starts. The next day afternoon, he speaks to me, what happened? Nobody understand. The doctors came to do the operation. The last exam, they couldn't find the tumor. Couldn't find the tumor. A specialist, another one, another x-ray, another whatever they do over there, the tumor is gone. Overnight, imagine such a thing. A person has a tumor in his brain, lo alenu, in the morning it's gone completely. I told him, you give me permission to say it in your name? Yes, he said. This is it. Hard to believe. The power of the Torah. Not always it helps. If if Hashem wants this person dead, he's going to die. But sometimes he leaves it to the people to change. This is the whole miracle of Purim. Three days, everyone was fasting in the middle of Shushan, reading Tehillim. Everything was reversed. Instead of the Jews to die, Amman and the Amalekim died. Amar Rabbi Yochanan. Oh, we have another case. I almost skipped that. Shneem Krovim, Shneem Shchenim. Two Tuvia, both neighbors. Or both of them relatives. Now it's an equal status. What do we do with the money? Or both of them Talmidei Chachamim, both of them Rebis. The judges have to investigate carefully and to come to conclusion which one of the two he meant. Which one of the two? Amar Rabbi Yochanan, kol amonea talmido mileshamsho keilu monea mimeno chesed. Every rabbi, who, he has students who volunteer to help him, to drive him around, to get him help, any kind of help. There's many ways to help one another. Rabbi, I want to help you. Rabbi, I want to carry your books. Rabbi, I want to do this for you. Rabbi, I want to clean your car for Pesach. Whatever. It will be a million things. And he said, no, no, no. He's humbled. He doesn't want to take advantage on people. And he said, no, no, no. What is it? A mitzvah or a sin? Huh? On one hand, we can say, very, very big tzaddik. He doesn't want to enjoy from anyone. He doesn't want to get, receive any gifts, right? What does the Gemara say? Ke'ilu monea mimeno chesed. Is preventing that Jew from doing a big mitzvah of kindness. Preventing him. If you would let him do it, he's going to earn so much from Hashem. Why you don't let him? It's a very interesting situation. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak say worse than that. Not only does he prevent him from doing chesed, he is making him lose is level of irat shamayim, of righteousness. Because the more he's going to do, the higher his level is going to go. 
Why disrespecting the rabbis? You should know one thing. The Gemara says someone who learned the whole Torah, everything by heart, but did not meshamesh chacham, wasn't attached daily to a chacham to see how he behaves, cannot reach a level of someone who was with a chacham every day, in intimate situation, in a car, seeing him how he behaves, talking on the phone, in between shiurim, how he goes to the bathroom, how he sits to eat. Because seeing them how they live, you learn sometimes much more than what you read in a book. What is it like? You want to be a brain surgeon. You learn all the medical books by heart, everything. And you have a friend never went to medical school. What did your friend do? Three months from morning to night is attached to a brain surgeon in a hospital. But he never went to school. He didn't learn any medicine, nothing. But he's in a surgery room from morning to night watching what the brain surgeon is doing. If you had to operate yourself or your kid, which one would you take? The doctor with a medical degree that knows all the books by heart but never been in a surgery room? Or this guy, the plumber, that for the last three months volunteered in a surgery room and saw exactly what the doctor is doing? Which one would you take? That's why I say all, all colleges is nonsense. <laughs> Teaching, this, this. It's a great way to get, to get people money. The biggest scam in a history is colleges. And it's together with the government, because everyone eats from your, from your pocket. The biggest scam. You can become a doctor by going to, to college maximum one year without wasting time. You, you are 18, you go one year, you learn, six months you learn from the books, six months you're going to stay in a hospital and you learn, you're going to be an assistant, I promise you. I went to Canada. I went to Canada and I went to a dentist over there. I know dentist is not exactly a doctor, it's different, but still there's a lot to know. It can be life and death, dentist. One mistake the dentists do, people die sometimes. So I, I was there, so the dentist told me, I, you know, I went to school, I think, seven years or whatever. He told me, I promise you, you three months with me from morning to night, I teach you the job. In three months, you will know everything I know how to do. Everything. From filling to root canal to crowns, everything. Three months, you with me, I promise you, you know everything I know. And I believe him. Yeah, same thing mechanic. You learn, you learn from the internet, fine. You learn in college, fine. But you will never know until you work. You come, you work, today you learn how to change brakes, tomorrow how to change this, change this. After a year, you know everything. Why? You already have experience. Same thing here. You learn a lot of Torah, but if you are not attached to a posek halacha, person that handles situations of life and death every day, person who handles situations of divorce, of marriages, of, um, of illegitimate boys, of a Jew and a Goya. There's one person, um, um, an hour before Shabbat started, his wife came to, they bought fully religious. They're ready for Shabbos Kiddush. His wife got a phone call one hour before Shabbat started from her sister, all crying on the phone. Why did she just found out? That their grandmother in Russia was a Goya, Catholic. They just found out the both sisters that they're not Jewish. Guess what? An hour before Shabbat. Now they have kids. 
And her husband just found out his wife is not Jewish. His kids are not Jewish. They're all sitting now in a table. He just found, wow, what a tragedy. Shabbat starts now. He cannot let her touch the wine now. This is a woman that retailing all day, cover the hair and keep Shabbat. She's a Goya. She touched the wine. Can he do Kiddush or not? What situation he has right now? So many things. Is, he allowed, is she allowed to keep Shabbat now? No. She's not allowed to keep Shabbat. What's going on now? The good news about this story that the next day she can go and convert in one hour. She doesn't need a course, she doesn't need anything. She just go, go in a mikveh one more time, finish. You understand? Why? Because she already knows all the mitzvot. She doesn't need to learn. Doesn't she have a Jewish soul already? No. Why not? She doesn't. But she's so interested about Judaism. If Yasser Arafat keeps all the mitzvot, he has a Jewish soul? Yes. Obama has a, he wants to now keep all the mitzvot. He's going to become a Jew? No. How long does he want to keep all the mitzvot? Maybe he has... For the rest of his life. You know how many hundreds of goyim are writing to me daily emails and they keep all the mitzvot, but they know that they are not Jewish? They know. And they keep all the mitzvot, everything, Shabbat, this... Even I told them you shouldn't keep Shabbat. One time you be Mechalel Shabbat, the light, one time. Some of them don't want. No, I can't. That's it. Once I know this is what God wants, I can't even think of doing it. And they listen to your lectures? All the time. What do you think they became religious? <laughs> they found the lectures. I told you about the Chinese family from Singapore, no? No? No. Yeah. One day I get an email, a Chinese businessman from Singapore, I asked him permission to tell the story. He gave me permission, but without mentioning his name. I always like to mention names. Like this, I remove any doubt. Like this, you can go and check. All right, but I have all the emails. It's all here. I keep all the emails, all of them in a file. So I, I, I get, what happened? He, he contacted me. How do you know of me? One time he was uh, searching in the Internet, and he found the lecture, Striving for Pleasure. You know, in search engine, you put pleasure, oh, a word can come out. You put uh, anything you put in the Internet, yeah. you can get all kinds of things that you didn't think of. That's the interesting things when you search for something. Now, this is a Chinese family. Their English, I don't know how it's so good. I, someone told me that in Singapore, everyone speaks perfect English. It's a part of, uh, it used to be owned by, by British, you know, whatever. Perfect English. So they listened to that lecture, striving for pleasure. I spoke in that lecture about the phony lifestyle of the people, how everyone is running after material and trying to excite themselves with all kinds of gifts and material and beauty and this, when people ignore their soul and the truth of life. Now, this is a complete goy. Him and his wife heard that lecture. They started to listen to other lectures. That's it. They decided they know more Chinese. They want to be Jewish, but in their country, there's no place to convert. So they went to Australia to start conversion. After a few weeks from the, when they're starting to keep mitzvot, like they're already progressing, they had a baby boy. How did they name the baby boy? Yosef. Now you have one Yosef, Chinese Yosef in Singapore. Hopefully one day will be Gdol Ador, because they're soon going to be converting. 
It would be big chacham. At least I have something to be proud of on Shamayim. Hashem, look at, at uh, dear Chinese Yosef, the Talmud Chacham. Before you, <laughs> you, you remove my head off, here, have mercy. You never know. You never know. You never know what comes out. Rabbi Akiva, who was his father? A Goy. Rabbi Meir comes from Goyim. Shmaya and Aftalion, the Rabbanim of the Tanaim, were converts. Ruta Moavia, the grandmother of David, Mashiach come from converts. So, eh? what, do you, what do you surprise? You know, we have uh, many cases in history like this. So, the Torah said that you have to fear and respect people who fear God. If you see a holy person that has strong Yirat Shamaim and Emunah in Hashem, automatically, you have to have a lot of sympathy and love to this person. And if you don't, that means you don't love Hashem. Why? If I have a friend that saved my life or saved me from bankruptcy, and I was on the street and he took me back and he got me a place and he gave me money until I got, I got back on my feet, and then one day he died, lo alenu. And his son is alive. And one day his son comes to me. How much I'm going to love this son, even though I hardly spoke to him. Why I love him? Because he's the son of the person who saved my life, no? He, that's his son. Automatically I love him. Why? For your father. Even by the mafia is like this. If you're the son of one gangster, the other gangster that was a partner of your father to their assassinations, automatically his door is open for you. Why? You're the son of the other gangster. They're in the same gang, No. This is how it is. That's the way the world is. So if you see someone who's very close to Hashem, and you don't feel attracted to him, a love, sympathy, empathy, I don't know, find the right word for it, something is not right by you, my friend. There's a Gemara in Ketubot. Amar Mar, the Gemara explains, Zeyehoshaphat Melech Yehuda. Yehoshaphat, the king of Judah. He used to be Israel and Yehuda. Shaya Oet Talmid Chacham is a king, king, with a crown. When he saw someone who knows Torah, learns Torah, Chacham, a Rebbe, he used to run, get up from his chair, king, and run and hug him and kiss him. Doesn't know who he is. Doesn't care, I'm a king, I'm a big shot, nothing. Hey, hey, come, mwah, mwah, I love you. Why? Why do you love me? I love you because you love Hashem. Rabbi, Rabbi, I kiss his hands. Rabbi, Rabbi, Mari, Mari, my master, come. That shows that not only he was smart man, he was also very humble. Rabbi, Rabbi Yudah Anasi lived 120 years, full life. Was the biggest chacham. He wrote the Mishnah and was also a billionaire. He has a palace full of servants. He has tables all the way from here to the street, all gold, full of all great things on it. People used to come. It's like a, it's like a, a bet for the poor people. They all come and eat for free by him, morning and night, all day, all night. When he became sick, Rabbi Chia went to visit him and saw that he's crying. Rabbi, why are you crying? He said, don't you know that the Torah taught us that if a person smiles in a minute of death, 
It's a very good sign. It's a sign that he goes right to heaven. And if he cries while he's, if he's dying while he's crying, it's a very bad sign to him. Don't you know it? You're not afraid that any second you'll die while you're crying. It's not a good sign. Or there is another way. If his face is up when he's dead, it's a good sign. If his face is that his face is in the ground, it's a bad sign. If his face towards the audience when he died, good sign. If his back is to the audience, his face is towards the wall, bad sign. If his face become green right away after his death, it's a bad sign. If they become yellow or red, it's a good sign. If he dies on Friday evening, Erev Shabbat, moments before Shabbat start, it's a good sign. If he died Motzei Shabbat, Saturday night, it's a bad sign. If he dies few hours before Yom HaKippurim, bad sign. If he died in the end of Yom HaKippurim, good sign. If he dies from a stomach sickness, good sign. Because most righteous people, that's the death that God chose for them, that the stomach kill them. Amar le ana atora veamitzvot kabachina. He gave him all this speech to Rebbe. And Rebbe said, I don't care about all this. I cry on the Torah and the mitzvot that I'm going to lose. He's going to heaven and he's thinking, how would I live without the Torah that he learned all his life? He's crying for the Torah and the mitzvot. We are alive and we're not crying for the Torah and the mitzvot. All day nonsense and shtuyot. Look at our life, what a joke. And we never cry. I don't remember really, really broken heart and crying that I wasted an hour of Torah. Nah? Yeah, I feel bad about it, for sure. But to be shivering, broken, crying, why, why are you crying? Oh, nah, leave me alone, I can't. Ah. Today I learn half an hour less than every day. When, just before he died, yeah, we have four minutes, we'll finish right there. He raised his ten fingers, and he said, Ribbono Shel Olam, Master of Universe, you know that I put a lot of efforts with this finger to serve you, and it was all in the Torah. I did not even enjoy a little bit from this world. Now, we are talking about the richest guy that had a mansion full of tons of money he had, and servants, and he didn't touch nothing from what he had. It was all for others. And this is before he dies. He won't have the nerve a minute before he dies to come. Dear God, you know I'm the biggest tzaddik in the world. I never enjoy anything material. <laughs> if it's a lie, it's going to open the gate of hell much faster for him. A minute before you're dying, you're lying to me like this? So he says... The Gemara says, shalom bim nuchati, he asked. Let me rest in peace. shalom. You are in peace. Rest in peace. ben Shaul. When a righteous person die from the world, the angels of the good angels comes to Hashem and say, This righteous Jew is on the way up here. Omer laem, yavot tzadikim, Hashem gives permission to all the righteous people to come and welcome him. 
And they all come and say to him, Yavo Shalom, come in peace. Rest in your place in peace. Amar Rabbi Elazar, niftar min haolam, when a righteous person passed away, three groups of angels are coming towards him. One say to him, Yavo Beshalom, come in peace. The other one say, Olech Nechocho, the good uh, impression that you made walks in front of you. V'achat omeret lo, Yavo Shalom, peace will come after you. One before you, one after you. Yanuchu al mishkavotam, rest in your place in peace. When a wicked person dies, three horrible groups of angels are coming, all the bad angels. One say, En shalom amar Hashem l'reshaim. There is no peace to the wicked people, that's what God says. The second group say, Go rest in your horrible place. And the other group say, Arel is someone that either wasn't circumcised or that his heart was impure. We are, we, it's 100% in our hand which group we're going to be in. We're going to get the good angels or the bad. It's depending on how we behave here. If we listen to Hashem, we're going to have a good end. If we don't listen to Hashem, Hashem irachem. Since we have two more minutes, Amar Avanan, Kol HaKavur Be'eretz Yisrael, everyone who's buried in Eretz Yisrael, it's like being buried under the altar, the Mizbeach. Sheneemar Mizbach Adama Ta'aseli, the altar has to be on the ground, and then says, V'chiper Adamato Amo, they learn Gzera Shava, Adama, Adama, and they know there's connection between these two verses. Ula Varagil Da'avasalik L'Eretz Yisrael. Ula used to be, used to go to Eretz Yisrael, but he died in overseas, out of Israel. Amrule Rabbi Elazar, it says, Ant Ula al Adamat Meat Amut. It says, Rabbi, he loved Eretz Israel so much all his life. Remember, that was, there was no Elal yet, no continental, on a donkey. Go from Iraq to Eretz Israel on a donkey. So they say, so, so they say, Rabbi, he died out of Israel, but he's a person who loved to be in Israel. What should we do? Should we bring his body to Israel or not? The answer is, Amar lahem eno dome kolateto mechaim lekolateto lachar mita. It's not the same dying while you're standing on the land of, the, of Israel, the Holy Land, that when they bring your coffin into Eretz Israel like they do today. It's not the same. Rav Enkin, in Lower East Side, was in the time of Rav Moshe Feinstein. He wrote to his children not to bury him in Israel to bury him here, that they don't have to waste tons of money and time every year to go to his grave in Israel and come back. He, even when he died, he wasn't thinking about himself, he was thinking about his children and grandchildren. Why? To schlep them back and forth, you have to keep going. You know, they're Americans. They live in America. Every year for me, you're going to go and come back. You go and come back? No! You bury me here? And hopefully the whole community would learn not to ask their children to take them to Israel, not to talk about thousands of dollars that it costs to take the body, to arrange everything. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.